Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny shiny things to buy. We focus on the value and the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project and I'm joined today by Ben Skidmore, lifelong restarter and tech analyst for Digital UK. Welcome back. Hi, thanks. Great to have you back on the show. Uh, so in this episode, we are going to talk about uh, a couple of topics that all link up together uh, somehow. Mm. And uh, we are interested in exploring what's going on with Brexit and what could be the impact that Brexit ends up having on the kind of products that we are able to buy and maintain, hopefully, for a longer period of time. But we also want to uh, talk about a special type of product, which makes particular sense as we are on the radio. Today is World Radio Day. So happy Radio Day, everyone. And uh, we are also celebrating a very special radio station, uh, Resonance FM, which is hosting us uh, every week. And let's not forget that Resonance is having its annual uh, fundraiser. So please uh, visit the website and uh, find out more at fundraiser.resonance.fm and slash fundraiser 2018 support the station or attend one of the live events that are happening and let's continue uh, strive for independent uh, radio so uh, ben before we mm. dive in into this conversation about speculations around brexit uh, one tech news this week is that our friends at ifixit have managed to lay their hands and take apart one of the infamous HomePods from, mm. by Apple. Uh, first of all, not everyone might be aware of what a HomePod is. So have you figured out what kind of device it actually is? Well, I'm guessing it's the same kind of device. It's like a home assistant, as you can find from other, other brands that are becoming very popular very quickly, actually. Um, I'm guessing it has a few extra features up its sleeve, being Apple, um, and it probably integrates with your, your Apple ecosystem if you have one. Very much so. In fact, it probably only does integrate with your Apple ecosystem. But we know that there's a few people that actually own these devices. So it's actually worth talking about them anyway. Um, so it seems kind of fit as a topic in the context of World Radio Day as well. And in, also in terms of what is the future for the quality of the products that we that we can own. Uh, firstly, because a lot of radio really is changing and it's so much on demand and uh, voice activated. Mm. Well, let's not forget that this device, by the way, costs significantly more than similar products by Amazon and, and Google. Um, theoretically promises to have the highest possible quality of sound and hopefully will, given how much it costs. But what I fix it found while taking it apart is that this, and they didn't put it on their website, but in their newsletter, that this is possibly the hardest device ever to be ever made in terms of taking it apart. And it's pretty much impossible to fully disassemble without breaking it. Obviously, if you have the service manual from Apple, that would be a different story. 
It may be. I mean, um, you know, Apple have been known to develop special mechanisms and special tools for their engineers, but it, it may be it was actually designed never to be opened up. Uh, it might have been glued shut completely permanently. And I was, however, struck by one comment uh, by iFixit. So iFixit gave it a rating of one out of 10, where 10 would be super repairable and one, well, you can guess. And however, they, they made a comment saying they were impressed with the way that product is built. And mm. so they said that they think that its durability shouldn't be a concern at all, um, quoting them specifically. It's built like a tank. Durability should not be an issue. Now, for a company that does give very uh, well low rating in this case about repairability, so what what does this mean? Like durability, great. Repairability, none. Most yeah. people seem to care about durability until something does break. Yeah, there's this trade-off, especially when you talk about product design. That do you want something to be completely durable and it will last effectively forever? Uh, or do you want it to be repairable? And they often can't actually exist in the same space. So if something is easy to take apart and it has standardized components, it might mean that it's uh, it's not been able to be ruggedized or made you know tougher and stronger. Um, and it's kind of almost an ethical question of, of where do you go if you want products that last longer? Because uh, both the extremes will still have some failure rates or some lack of longevity. And in fact, um, elsewhere on The Verge, we've read that uh, Apple is providing one fairly affordable repair in case mm. you break the cord. So I can imagine someone trips in this device, which is meant to stay on a table or somewhere and not be moved around. It's not your typical um, smartwatch or smartphone. But in case any other fault occurred outside of warranty, uh, assuming that it wasn't the fault of the owner of the product, they would charge 80% of the cost of the new unit. Most likely it is implying that they would just give you another one, mm. uh, probably refurbished while they were fixing it, maybe in the back uh, if needed. So it's interesting because products, there's different types of products. And indeed, I, I don't expect that product to break as often because it wouldn't be shaken so much. Well, perhaps someone trips on it. That's mm. a different story. But still, when it does break, uh, it bears the question, why should you have to deal with the unique conditions set by the manufacturer and mm. not be able to access an alternative source of support if needs be? Yeah, there's, there's almost no freedom in terms of um, if it's a simple repair and you would want to do it yourself, or also the fact that ultimately this electronic device has tens or hundreds of components, and if one fails, why would you then replace the other 99 or 10? Or So they haven't given you any choice to find out what's wrong with it and do a repair yourself. And uh, to, truth be told, uh, we've also read that this device is particularly suited for people who fully are immersed in the Apple ecosystem to the extent that if you're not uh, already a subscriber of Apple Music and probably if you don't already have an iPhone or uh, an iPad, you wouldn't be able to make the most of it. Like the basic functionalities available for to control other streaming services are not really comparable with what you can access if you have all of their products. So they're making an extra step towards products that kind of force you in. Close family. And once you're in, it's much harder to mm. step out and just see uh, what kind of other opportunities you have. So 
it's something to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, translating this to a different scenario, actually, uh, talking about the future of products and the way product standards evolve so that that the standards that end up influencing what kind of products become available in a specific country, we we are fairly concerned about the current state of the Brexit negotiations. And uh, everyone has heard in the last week uh, revelations about the negative economic impact that Brexit will most likely have on the vast majority of the UK, perhaps not London, but maybe the rest well, most likely the rest, and in some cases, really tragic projections. But because everything is still up in the air and we don't really know what's going to happen, what we're going to say here, uh, take it as our views and our fears and our um, uh, concerns about the various scenarios. But we were particularly concerned that there is going to be just simply no deal uh, whatsoever, and that therefore none of the existing regulations uh, will in in place in the rest of the EU in regards to product standards and will translate into the UK. And so there is big risk in this case, uh, particularly uh, the UK will will be left alone having to like decide a whole new set of uh, regulations for its own sake. Mm. Now, this is particularly complicated because while there are some uh, type of legislation that each country, each state can decide for its own and at times can be a good solution for specific consumer rights, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but we are concerned particularly about product design and therefore the the so-called eco-design directive which is the one instrument at a european level is able to address uh, at the design level like what the future of specific products uh, should look like because no country by itself can make such a strong claim to improve just for that small market the future of a specific product. No manufacturer will make a product just for the UK. And so we're particularly concerned that uh, if standards evolve in the EU and they don't apply to the UK, they might not be, the UK might not be able to keep up and potentially uh, there might be lower standards in the UK, potentially opening up a situation where products of a lower quality would be sent to the UK because there is not yet uh, an equally strong set of rules. And of course, this is a topic that no one really wants to talk about openly. Um, but in the midst of all the confusion around uh, uh, what will really happen with Brexit, it's, it's something that does concern us. Hmm. So in, in your experience, uh, Ben, uh, because you're also working in uh, um, as a tech analyst, uh, testing new products that are not yet on the market. Yeah. Um, how do you see like products coming to the UK? They're not really different from the products that go out in other countries within the EU. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, I work in the broadcast industry and I, I test televisions and Actually, we do um, deal with manufacturers to make special offerings that 
apply to our kind of industry in the UK. So the broadcast scene in the UK has some offerings that aren't worldwide. And it is an uphill struggle to convince manufacturers you're adding value when only people in the UK are going to buy it. So we're a percentage of the full market. Um, but you can do it if you convince them that it A, is a viable marketing exercise and B, these are design features you want to add. You know, and you want, you want to almost be a pioneer to add new features. Um, but you definitely have to, to fight your corner and uh, try as hard as you can. It's not like it's going to be handed to you. So what was great about as a, a repair advocate was that generally people have come together around the world and especially around Europe to push the demand for better standards and bring that to be broad policy. Um, and to be on our own fighting for that is going to be a lot harder. Right. And well, we've seen that at a political level across the EU, there seems to be more of an interest now compared to years before um, in products that are more durable and repairable. Uh, there was an important positive vote in July last year of the European Parliament uh, demanding that manufacturers should uh, move in that direction and therefore that the European Commission uh, should uh, move forward in measures of eco-design that would tackle some of the issues around availability of spare parts, the costs of them, and the documentation around how repairs um, can be performed for all kinds of products. But we suspect, having seen the uh, slow progress that some of these negotiations are, are, are taking, mm -hmm. that most uh, of the results that this work will have in, in coming years will happen after uh, the official Brexit uh, time of March 2019. Yeah. And therefore, even though legislation that is uh, has been approved at European level by then will be uh, adopted in the UK, chances are that this further improvements, uh, which uh, we look forward to, are are happening beyond that scope. And so the UK, if it was to still stay in the single market, which uh, looks like it's the least likely option at this stage, uh, would be able to influence those decisions. Um, but by being outside of the single market, uh, would at most be able to adopt similar measures, mm -hmm. but without having a say in any way. And the chance that not even this will happen, and so that sort of dumping ground for products that are not acceptable in the rest of the EU is is something that uh, is a real possibility. So we, we're worried about that. There are other measures, however, that are happening within um, in the legislation to protect consumers that are showing promise of activities that can be done um, by a single member state or a single country. So we've seen a few of these measures that uh, we would love the UK to replicate. Uh, one is the tax breaks for repair of appliances um, uh, in, in Sweden, where mm -hmm. 50 percent of the labor cost up to uh, 2000, 2000 and, and over 2000 pounds per family can be used as tax break. So there is an incentive in repairing more. And things like what's happening in Norway, so a country that is not part of the EU, but has decided that the warranty on products that are supposed to last longer, including mobile phones, 
should not just be two years, but should be five years. So it's not all lost, obviously, but the influence of future product standards uh, doesn't seem something that can be ta tackled from just one member state. What do you think about this um, incentives to more repair or to just provide consumers with extra protection? Well, I think I think those can be two separate issues, and I'm I'm in favour of both, but especially the one that protects consumers. That's very important. Um, a because we are consumers, and arguably that phrasing pitches you against corporations or, or bodies that are larger. So you need policy to protect them, but also because it's easy as a, a group of any size, you could be a country or a, a, a united group, to write policy that brings environmental issues to the forefront. Uh, there's no reason not to push in that direction from every level. So I approve of those because um, you can align several goals, which is the environment and the protection of the consumer, and go in the best direction based on a consensus. Uh, and with regard to the repair um, support, I think you need to create a path of least resistance. Um, so we've talked about the top-down policy. If you talk from the bottom up, you need to encourage the individual consumers to want to fix things and to want to keep them longer. And half of that is designing nice products, and the other half is making repair viable. So, I mean, I've always done it, and I, I enjoy it, so I have two reasons to repair, to save money and for fun. But some people just want to keep their phone, you know, and or they want their TV to keep working. So you need to make that possible. Um, I can't see any reason not to uh, to have that included in your policy. Well, we need to keep our eyes open and uh, fight for our right to repair and to better products in the future. You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. And today uh, I'm here with uh, Ben Skidmore, lifelong restarter who's fixed many radios as part of his uh, duty as a volunteer and as a enthusiast. Uh, today is World Radio Day and so we thought that we should celebrate all of this. Uh, what's a radio repair that you remember that really inspired you? Um, something I see quite often is uh, people bring radios that they've had you know 20, 30, 50 years and there's always this attachment. Um, and, you know, they're quite often very old devices. So you kind of get to look into something made in a different way, in a different time. It might use different electronic components than you've seen before. But also there's the emotion attached to it that the person, if you get it working and you get that great moment when it sparks into life and makes sound, you see the smile because this person has a relationship. You know, they probably listen to that radio every day. So it's really personal. And it's particularly interesting at a time when listening to radios become something that there's so many different options for you know the rise of podcasts uh, on-demand content uh, and uh, also the fact that you can now listen also through the tv airways uh on freeview right yeah yeah so um many mainstream channels are available um you know, on Freeview, because the nature of uh, digital TV is you can actually broadcast lots of individual pieces of data. So it was very easy to integrate radio stations onto the same airwaves. So that's available. Let's uh, 
give a little small disclaimer. We know Resonance FM is not available on Freeview, but it's available on DAB mm -hmm. uh, as well as FM, obviously, and uh, online. And we've actually read a slightly worrying story this week. Uh, it was published by Witch uh, saying that digital radio listening is close to the 50% that will be needed for a digital switchover, mm. which is worrying because of many reasons, uh, but particularly in line of with what you were saying earlier mm. about um, people bringing to restart parties very old radios that they have strong attachment to. These radios, there is a potential that soon enough might become fairly useless. Yeah, I was very surprised because um, the mirror of this kind of event we're talking about was the digital switchover for TV, um, which made sense because TVs have a shorter lifespan and we gained a lot of new features and abilities by doing so. Um, but there was always the concern, who is going to be left behind? And there was a big drive during the digital switchover to make sure everybody was brought up to speed and was able to keep receiving. So there was a focus on the, uh, the user and the consumer. Um, but with radio, there are probably... 10 times as many radios as TVs, you know, and that's, that's I've pulled that figure out of the air, but everyone has one or more radios at home and in their phone and in the office. And I feel like a lot more people may be left behind. So it, it's a bit sudden to hear we may do a switchover. Yeah, and also, well, for TVs, you could argue that you could get a small Freeview box to make your old TV still compatible with the signals. Mm. I mean, for radio, that doesn't, seem possible at all you would have to get a dab module which is not really practical in some cases it just seemed they will be probably bigger than the radio that you attach it to and use more power um, it, one of the features of fm radios that we liked is that it's portability mm -hmm. uh, but also the fact that at times when most other services uh, stop working because of an emergency. It, it's, it tends to be a more resilient system, like FM broadcasting is still there when many other digital services aren't there. And obviously we're not looking forward for any emergency, but uh, it, it seems like we're cutting potentially our options out. And obviously it's not that I don't enjoy clear signal and uh, ease of tuning, uh, but it seems like, as you're saying, that there is there are more drawbacks potentially than advantages to this switchover. Yeah, I think um, the convenience of, of radio is that a broadcast goes out and the receiver doesn't have to do anything special. It just grabs the thing that's in the air already. And so if you have one in the kitchen and you have one in your bedroom as your alarm clock, it's very easy just to grab it, tune in and get what you need. And absolutely, DAB is the same or more convenient, except it's not established for 60 70 80 years so we don't have this base of like well everyone has a radio right yeah plus uh fm basic radios uh are at the heart of a diy uh, mode of learning uh, about how things work and uh, mm. I, I i remember we run a foxhole uh, radio workshop in the past uh, and uh, i personally took part in the very first time I've ever soldered myself was to create a portable, very small budget DIY radio broadcasting unit for uh, an event. This was in Finland many years ago, where we actually learned how to make a very small 
broadcasting unit that would be just active in one neighborhood for uh, during one weekend. But it was so exciting to see that we were creating media and that we were fully owning the technology around it. Yeah, there's something super special about um, doing something in the real world and, you know, kind of going analog um, in the office while testing TVs. Uh, I recently found a bit of equipment floating around the office and we tried to figure out, can we do, um, a, you know, a UHF TV broadcast physically onto a wire? And then we tested it by plugging into a TV and I was like, wow, I, I made that happen. There's a, a physical connection happening now. And it was so exciting to get hands on and kind of get down there in the real world. Um, whereas digital is very like, uh, it works or it doesn't and it just exists and there's something hidden in the middle. Yeah, so, and also historically, we, we have data in our fixometer where we collect uh, information about all the repairs that happen at restart parties in London and around the world. We have now data on about 280 uh, radios having been repaired. So it's a very popular uh, type of device that people bring. And often, as you say, it's because they're very old and there wouldn't necessarily be a real shop where people could go back to and at times just people don't know exactly what to do about it but we've seen cases where uh, these new uh, dub radios might become um, a lot harder mm. to diagnose uh, because either they work or they don't work and yeah. when they don't uh, you're a bit lost like about only 20 just lower uh, than 20% of all the radios that are brought to restart parties are declared end of life. And one fifth of those are, uh, more than one fifth of those are um, dub radios. Mm. So we wonder whether we're going to see more disposable or at least hard to diagnose and repair radios as part of this potential switchover. Potentially, yeah. Other repairs that we we are not necessarily able to to perform um, during events are when maybe an antenna breaks and uh, you know while we know that a little piece of wire could do but not necessarily something that people can't can find where would people buy spare parts for this kind of older radios is it something doable yeah, if, if we go really old and we talk about old uh, valve radios, you know, pre-1960, pre-transistor, um, there are specialists. Uh, they, there's usually one in each town in a way. I mean, you know, there might be three or four in London who you can only find out about through word of mouth because their first they were the one in a small town and then they were the nearest one within a few miles. And then it's the only guy in North London or, or lady in North London. So uh, what you find is... Uh, they are they don't usually exist in the new world because they've been there for 40 years and they're getting sparser um but you know you can apply standard electronics knowledge to it and anyone over a certain age or with a certain interest knows valves so the nature of them is repairable and you just need to find the knowledge and we see the moment where after uh, times a lengthy repair there's maybe a Midas touch moment mm. where for some reason just putting it back together it was just a loose contact and you go from not being able to tune in at all or like a silent uh, uh, tuner and all of a sudden first a crackling sound and then a beautiful sound that comes back like there's 
the smiling people and like a full understanding that we shouldn't really give up. There are times just taking something apart and making sure that all the connections are still working. Uh, it's mm. inspirational, just like with every other community repair activity. But in this case, I feel like it's more immediately satisfying because mm. you leave an event with your radio working again and you can listen to it on the way home. So it's, it's quite uh, exciting when that happens. So it's all we have time for for today. Uh, thank you for listening to uh, Restart Radio. We have upcoming restart parties as ever that you can find out about uh, on our website, therestartproject.org. The first upcoming event is next week in North London at the Belsize Community Library and uh, uh, on the 22nd of uh, February. And you can find more information on Twitter and Facebook at The Restart Project. Thanks for listening. The music, uh, thanks for collaboration to Cassini Sound and OptoNoise. Bye.